Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Oh, yeah. Last Sunday before our four-year anniversary. What? Are you ready for that? Hey, I'm excited for the four-year anniversary, but we're going to finish the last Sunday of year three well. I'm going to preach hard today. So what's up, online people? Always good to see you. How are your jammies doing? Great. Okay, good talk. I, uh, I love me some live stream when you're traveling, all the above, so good to see you. Uh, if you're brand new, I'm Tyler. We're in a serious how This is Our God. Uh, we're finishing the Pentateuch today. It's a fancy word for five. It's the first five books in the Bible. Deuteronomy. Ooh, it's going to be a good one. Now, if you don't know a lot about the Old Testament, it's put together kind of in chunks. Like the, It starts with the Pentateuch, then it's the history books. Uh, then it's the writings, poetry, Psalms, and Proverbs. Then it's the major minor prophets. Not chronological. Uh, the first book uh, ever written in the Old Testament, uh, scholars believe, is Job. Last one written was Chronicles. Uh, but it's put together beautifully when it's canonized for us to really understand God's heart. And so the first five books of the Pentateuch. So we got five books done in this series, and we got 61 books to go. How good is that? Feel good? Come on now. Come on. Now, Deuteronomy, it don't get enough love. It should get a lot more love. Uh, Jesus refers back to the book of Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book. Okay, let me, let me, let me uh, double down on this. 350 times the Old Testament refers back to Deuteronomy. 250 times the other four books in the Pentateuch. So the book of Deuteronomy is referred to a lot. New Testament, 95 times. The book of Deuteronomy is, a, you could say, almost a cornerstone book. It talks about the covenant that God has with us. And that's the primary concept of the book of Deuteronomy is covenant. Now, the name Deuteronomy literally means second law. Second law. Why second law? Because the first time, they just really didn't get it that well. Aren't you, aren't you glad that God's a God of second chances? Come on now. He goes, hey, okay, we made a covenant on Mount Sinai. You didn't keep the covenant. Let's have a vow renewal ceremony. Book of Deuteronomy is, is basically Moses' final briefing with the new generation, the young people, to say, hey, the, the older generation, let me put it this way. I, I, I heard a scholar say it this way. You can be young once, but you can be immature for a lifetime. And, and what Moses is doing is saying, hey, the first generation, they never grew up. They stayed immature forever. This is your opportunity to grow up to honor what is sacred, to live the way God called you to live, to worship what you're supposed to worship, to fight for what you're supposed to fight for, to love what you're actually supposed to love, to be free. Oh, don't be bound to the things of this world, but to be free to actually enjoy the things God's given you. Does that sound good? So let me really share the heart of it real quick with you. The heart of Deuteronomy is really to try to uh, reset what is broken, if I could even double down on it. Uh, anybody, you ever feel broken ever? Is it just me? Sometimes you feel emotionally broken, mentally broken, physically broken, maybe with health. Um, I'll never forget it. The first time I broke a bone in my body, I was uh, in my early 20s. I was going to Bible college, and uh, we were doing like an intramural basketball game. Nothing crazy, but um, uh, I was feeling kind of bouncy that day, feeling kind of athletic that day. So I wanted to dunk on some guy's head. Okay, so I, and he was kind of bothering me. So I was like, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take two bounces, and I'm gonna jump up, and I'm gonna dunk. So and I could dunk somewhat okay in my 20s. And so I go to dunk on this guy's head, and as I go to dunk on him, he takes my legs out from under me. I fall onto the hardwood floor, and my bicep literally—I hear a pop. Not my bicep, sorry, my elbow. Uh, my bicep, yeah, my bicep popped. Um, I don't know what that is, um, but my elbow popped. And I right, right away I was like, okay, I had never broken a bone, but I think it's broken, and I couldn't move my arm farther than this. So I just remember running to the uh, to the sideline, sitting down, saying, I need a sub, I need a sub. Somebody subs in. And that night, I literally go to bed hoping it's not broken and just waking up and I want it to be better. And isn't that just a picture of a lot of us? Like, my emotions are broken. If I just go to bed, maybe it'll be better in the morning. My mind's broken. Maybe if I just go to bed and I wake up. If you don't deal with what's broken, it will always be broken. 
And so the reality is I tried to ignore something that was broken, realized I needed to go to a healer, a doctor. Come on now. The things that are broken, God, God's actually the one that can fix it. So I go to this doctor. Problem is I went to a bad doctor. There are good doctors and bad doctors. Just going to keep it real. There are good pastors and bad pastors. What I mean by good and bad is simply this. There are good pastors who actually care about people that want to see them flourish and actually walk to the promises of God. That would be a good pastor. Then there are bad pastors. They're in it for fame. They're tired. They don't care about anything anymore. That would be a bad pastor. Good doctors, they care about the patient. They want the patient to be better and whole. They really love what they do. Bad doctors just want to get you in and get you out. Well, I was in L.A. at the time, didn't know L.A. that well, and I went to a hospital in East L.A. Not a very, yeah, if you, if you know well, oh, no, no, you didn't go to a hospital in East L.A. I didn't even think they had hospitals still there. They do, and they're scary, okay? So I go to a hospital in East L.A., and I get an X-ray, and two fractures met and popped the radius bone off of my elbow and literally broke it off, like snapped it off. The doctor, he's tired, Lydia looks at it, oh, yep, it's broken. Here's, he gives me a sling. I said, what about a cast? He goes, if I cast it, it will fuse and you'll never move again. It will stay like this for the rest of your life. Okay, no cast then. Okay, cool talk. He goes, what I'm gonna do is you're, I'm gonna give you a sling and in this many weeks, I want you to start moving it again so you can have your mobility back. All right, get out of here. And that was it. I was like, that's it? And so I remember... You know, I get to that week, I forget how many weeks it was, but I get to the week where I'm starting to have to move it again. It was painful. Uh, but a normal arm, just to give you a little context, it has this much mobility. Whew, see that? Perfect. Arm that broke. You ready? Doesn't go down anymore. It's very sad. Hurts on cold days. Hurts sometimes to go like this when it gets cold. Like, and as I've gotten older, I have doctor friends now that uh, even one of my childhood buddies became a doctor. And I tell them that story. They're like, time out a second. Time out. That should have been reset and then you should have got physical therapy. And the guy just sent you on your way? Yeah, he didn't care. And they're like, oh, I was like, what? Like, no, it's too late now, Tyler. You're done. But, but at the time, if you would have got it reset and would have got physical therapy, you would have had full function in your arm again. And the reality is Deuteronomy is this. God's like, you know what? You're broken. Here, here's a sling. Go take care of yourself. God goes, no, I need to reset some things. I'm going to give you the law that literally creates great alignment. But I'm not just giving you the law. I'm going to show you love. The book of Deuteronomy is also called the gospel of love in the Old Testament. Woo, what? I, I thought it was a law book. 20 plus times you'll see love throughout this interweave. Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love your God. Love your God. Your God loved you. That's why he chose you. But God loved you, so that's why he did these things. Love is interspersed with the law. If you don't know the love of God, you'll never actually really enjoy the law of God. But if you love God, woo, you actually embrace the law of God. And so the law of God is basically spiritually resetting things. And the love of God is him saying, I'm committed to the spiritual therapy for the rest of your life so you actually would function the way God's called you to function. There's just something about living. Doesn't the universe just look so broken to you? Because it is. It was broken when sin entered. And the kingdom of God brings things back into alignment. And the kingdom of God comes in your life. It's the now but not yet promise that the kingdom of God can come in your life and actually align and rehabilitate things that, you, that should no longer be broken. You want to be whole today? Let's start that journey. We bow your heads. God, I thank you. I thank you for the online audience. Oh, I, lo I love, I love that we have streaming in this time. Lord, I pray that you bless the people that are streaming in right now. Bless their homes. Bless their minds. Lord, I thank you uh, that we get to have uh, this technology in this day. And Lord, I thank you for the people here at the 10 a.m. Lord, I thank you that uh, it is just a gift for us to gather and to be together. Lord, I pray my words will fall to the floor and you were the sword. Oh, beautiful Holy Spirit, illuminate your word. Lord, we need you. We need you. And everybody said? Title of my message is The God Who Protects. The God Who Protects. Now, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you look at the book of Deuteronomy, and it looks like a law book. No, it's a protective book. And I'm going to show you three things that God uh, shows us in, in this book of Deuteronomy. It, it breaks up in three parts, basically. Past, present, future. You could say, um, the other way would say historical, 
um, uh, um, uh, uh, prophetical, and then legal would be another way to say it. Um, but what I want, really want to um, camp on is the three heartbeats that I see throughout it, throughout Scripture. One is uh, the heart that protects. A lot of people, when they hear God, like in the Old Testament, like, I like Jesus. He seemed really great. But the Old Testament God, he's scary. Fire of God. I'm a jealous God. Kind of God. So people are afraid of the Old Testament God. You're going to love the Old Testament God after I show you his heart. Because the Old Testament God is Jesus. You know, they're, they're, they are. This is, this, is, this is the Trinity. Then the second thing you're going to see is you're going to see the pace that protects. You're going to see in Deuteronomy, as God gives the promise to his people, he gives the promise to you and I, there's a pace on how he unloads the promise in our life. And last but not least, the boundaries that protect. He sets these boundaries in our life to protect us, not to control us. Ooh, is that a good God? All right, here we go. First one, simply this. Uh, the heart that protects. The heart that protects. Now, um, Rachel and I have been married 10 years this April. Woo, 10 years. Come on now. We, we did it. We're going to the marriage street. Uh, uh, we, I always said I'd never give marriage advice until Rachel and I have been married for 10 years. So everybody get ready. But I've been quiet for nine years. But I got a lot of opinions. Year 10's coming around. Hey, I got an idea. I've been married for 10 years. I'm going to give you some wisdom. Uh, so we're going to marry 10 years. But throughout those 10 years, we got to learn some stuff. You learn some stuff through fighting, through missing the mark, through failing your spouse. This is the reality of marriage. Well, year two, Rachel learned some stuff. All right. Now, uh, I've shared this with you. My wife is an only child. She loves birthdays. Um, you know, they celebrated her like she was like the first coming of Rachel. Oh, you know, um, and it affected her. It did. Um, in December, we're on a walk and she starts talking about her birthday and what it should be like. And I said, babe, your birthday's not for another seven months. Her birthday's in July. And she's talking about her birthday in December. She's like, well, I just want to make sure you really get it right. I'm like, what is going on? So that's my wife. Me, I'm a little more chill. We're both born in July. Uh, but one year I was not chill, okay? And it was year two. Uh, year two of our marriage, uh, we're living up in Santa Monica at the time, and Rachel and I have breakfast. She goes, okay, I'm going to leave. I'm going to get some stuff for your birthday, and I'll be back. I said, okay, okay, I'll see you in a little bit. One hour goes by. Two hours go by. Three hours goes by. Four hours goes by. At, year, at hour four, I am upset and sulking. I got a couple options. I need to call my wife. I don't call my wife. I get on our credit card um, on the website and I want to see where my wife is and where she's shopping. <laughs> I hadn't been to a marriage retreat yet. I don't know that's not a good idea. All right. <laughs> I hadn't been to counseling yet. I didn't know that was a bad thing. And I go, she's shopping at TJ. TJ Maxx ain't for me. Home Goods, that ain't for me. I'm like, well, she's at Home Goods and TJ Maxx right now? And now I'm even more upset. I'm like, oh, you're going shopping for me, huh? And so eventually, eight hours later on my birthday, she walks in at dinner time. Hey, babe, you ready for dinner? I got you a ton of good stuff. And this is me. Yeah. Well, don't you love marriage? Like, that's literally the universal signal. I'm upset. You ready for dinner? Yeah. Might as well just be screaming at the top of my lungs at the moment. She goes, what's wrong? You've been gone for eight hours. And she looked at me. My wife's Italian. She don't get smaller. She gets bigger when I get big. Okay? She's like, oh, I've been gone for eight hours. I've been gone for eight hours for you, for your birthday. I was getting you stuff for dinner and presents, and you're mad at me. I was gone. I was like, oh, you got me stuff at Home Goods and TJ Maxx. She's like, how'd you know I was there? The credit card, uh, you know, online credit card, Barclay. She's like, you were spying on me? No, I was worried where you were. I was worried, girl. I was worried. I was concerned. So, so we, we fight for a little bit, and I was like, I can't believe you're gone for eight hours. My birthday, I was by myself on my birthday. And when you're married two years, you don't really communicate that well. So, you know, we just, you know, we're just letting it rip. And so eventually I just sit down again, and we don't really talk. And just 
And again, I look kind of like a birthday monster in the sense of like, my wife bought me presents. She's making me dinner on my birthday. And if you would have heard her side, like, hey, I've got Tyler presents and I'm, getting, I'm making dinner. It's a great birthday. And, but Tyler's upset because I'm a jealous husband. I'm a fiery husband. And I came back to my wife and I finally like, I could encapsulate what I wanted to say. I said, babe, I don't want presents from you. I want your presence. Poetic. I said, I don't care about presents. I, you know me. I'm an extrovert. Quality. I, we could sit down and watch movies all day. That would be my birth, the greatest present. I was like, for the rest of our marriage, never go shopping for me on my birthday. I was like, I know you're an introvert, and it's like a gift to you if I did that for you. So now on your birthday, maybe I'll go shopping for you. But on my birthday, please hear my heart. I want you with me. I'm not trying to be ungrateful. You just missed my heart on what I desired for our birthday. A lot of Christians, if I could tie this in now, a lot of us miss God's heart on why he gives us everything. He doesn't give you the law to control. He gives you the law to actually guard each other's company. He doesn't give you the law so you would be hurt. He gives you the law so actually you would be protected. He's not trying to control anybody. He's trying to flourish you. I want to show you through Scripture how much God loves you. Can I show you through Scripture how much God loves you? Come on now. Because I feel like this is the tug of war we have with God all the time. And, and, and I want you to see this. Deuteronomy 4, 35 through 38. I'm going to hop around just show you how much love is throughout Deuteronomy, uh, his heart. He showed you these things so that you would know that the Lord is God and there is no other. He let you hear his voice from heaven so he could instruct you. He let you see his great fire here on earth so he could speak to you from it because he loved your ancestors. Mm, because he loved your ancestors. Why did he do all these things? Because he loved your ancestors. And, and let's go on the next verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Everybody say, my God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all, with all your strength, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 9, let's read some more just about love. Come on. For you are the people holy to the Lord, your God. You're going to see this a lot. Everybody say your God again. It'll be a big theme in this one. The Lord, your God, over and over again, it's your God, your God, has chosen you out of all these peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were a mere... Uh, more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept an oath he swore to your ancestors. It's because the Lord loved you. Go to verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. Woo! Just over and over again. You'll see this structure of your God, your God, your God. It doesn't say, oh, just a God. God does not want to be a God in your life. He wants to be your God, my God. My God, I'm going to double down on this. I want to show you the heart, and we're going to come back to that thought real quick. Deuteronomy 5.29, in one text, shows you, I feel like, the rhythm of all of it. Oh, that their hearts would become inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. So it's interesting, the go well right there in Hebrew means this. Oh, that they would follow me, that they would fear me, so things would go well for them. So what does the Hebrew word mean, go well? That they would flourish. So God said, oh, if you would allow me to spiritually reset some things in your life, if you allow me to align your life the way it should be structured, that you would actually flourish in life. And it says, uh, so that's the first part. So, so God's heart for you and I is what? To have us flourish. Is that a good thing? Amen? Now, how do we get there? He says that they would fear me. Now, we think of the English word fear, like, oh, I'm afraid. Oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. No, the uh, Hebrew word for fear here is to be gripped. Not gripped with fear, but gripped with awe. If you are a fan of art, I'll use an art illustration. You see a painting and it grabs you and you just cannot look at it. You're like, I love this painting. I just can't stop looking at it. If you're a travel person, it's like traveling throughout the world and finding a place in the world saying, whoo, this place gripped me. I ain't never leaving. This is where I'm planting my flag. I'm living here. That's what happened to me in the Bay Area. I had been all the way from Seattle to LA and then I discovered the Bay. I didn't see the whole world, but I saw a lot saw the West Coast, okay? Drilled through Oregon, peace out. Anyways, so, so I found the Bay. The Bay gripped me. 
you could say I had a fear for the bay in the sense of like, it, I had this offer. I was like, this is where God wants me to live for the rest of my days. Let's use a relational context. You'd be like, you meeting somebody, you're single, and this person just grabs you. You're like, I want to be with this person for the rest of my life. And what God is saying is that I would have that kind of um, effect on their life, that they would see me above all other gods, lowercase gods, and I would grip them and they'd say, I just want this God. I don't ever want to leave this God. I want to follow this God. I want to worship this God. I want to listen to this God. I want to obey this God. If they would do these things, they would flourish. Now, you need to understand something real quick. It starts with this. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined. A.K.A. would be pointed. Oh, that their hearts. The, the, the Chris Wright, a, a really great commentary on the, uh, the Old Testament, great scholar. He says that you'll find the oh, that um, phrase a handful of times in the Old Testament. And the oh, that phrase you'll find in Jeremiah 2. You'll find it in Isaiah 48. You'll find it in Hosea a handful of times. Hosea 11 is one of the more famous ones. And you'll find it here in Deuteronomy. Oh, that my people. And now, if I could just unpack the Hebrew words again, because again, the English doesn't do a very good job of it. But the oh, that is simply this. It's, it's the Hebrew uh, term of somebody who would be longing for something. It'd be like this. Oh, I long for Maui. Anybody long for Maui? Oh, I just, I want to be on that beach right now. Oh, I long for it. It'd be this. Oh, I just long for COVID to go bye-bye. Anybody, right? These are things we long for. It'd be like somebody you love that's been on a trip for a month. Oh, I just, oh, I can't wait for them to come home. Oh, I miss them. My heart aches for them. Oh, I just, oh, it's, it's this longing expression. It's, it's, oh, and the Lord is literally emotionally, he's emoting through scripture. He's shown us his heart saying, oh, if they would point their life towards me. Oh, if they would actually be in grip of me then their life would flourish. And it's like, it's like a, a spouse or a father or a mother saying, oh, if they just, oh, if they could. I want to read you um, uh, the oh, that type of God in Hebrew, uh, Hosea 11. I want you to see the, the picture. He goes, oh, oh, how, I can, how can I give up on you, Israel? There it is again, right? It starts Hosea 11 with the oh, the Hebrew, like, oh, the longing. Oh, how I long for Israel. How can I give up on you, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Zeboim? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. This is emotional scripture from our God. God is letting you peek in on his heart, that his heart is literally broken inside because of how you are broken. So when you are broken, you need to know something, it breaks God. When, you're, when, when you are being destroyed by this world, it hurts God's heart. This is what it's showing. What a powerful picture of scripture is showing us right here. Uh, overflows. Now I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come destroy. For someday the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion. And when I roar, my people will return trembling from the west. Like a flock of birds, they will come from Egypt, trembling like doves. They will return from Assyria, and I will bring them home again, says the Lord. I love it. He said, I'll bring my people home, my people. Now, uh, I'll just have to be honest with you. Uh, Ra Rachel is my girl. Now, if we had somebody twist their ankle outside and somebody said, Rachel twisted their ankle. My first question, I'd say this, my Rachel? And somebody said, oh, no, no, a different Rachel. Okay, let's, let's go check on her. I still care, but it's not my Rachel. It's a Rachel. Now, forgive me if your name's Rachel. I still care. But... If somebody says, Rachel, twist her ankle outside. And I say, my Rachel? Yes, you're Rachel. I'd be sprinting. Oh my gosh, my Rachel. She hurt her ankle. Where's she at? I got to see how my girl's doing. My Rachel. And throughout this scripture, throughout Deuteronomy, there is this rhythm of language saying this. He, God doesn't want you to obey him because he's God. He wants you to obey him because he's my God. But he also comes back and says, you are not just Tyler. You're my Tyler. You're my Michael. You're my Marcy. These are the things he's saying to us. You are my, you're my Ian. You are not just an Ian to me. You're mine. 
And when those are, you're my fill. It's this relational covenant language. The primary concept of Deuteronomy is a covenant language saying, you are mine and I am yours. We are committed. If somebody hurts you, they hurt me. If you win, I win. I've got your back. That's God's heart for you. Now, let's double down on this illustration. Thank you for the clap. Ooh, 10 a.m., you fired up today. Um, come on now. So um, uh, I have a doctor. It's my doctor. My doctor knows my health records. I'm getting my yearly physical uh, this, actually this Wednesday. I get one every year. I think it's a smart thing to do. I get my blood tested. I get, you know, uh, um, tested to make sure I don't have anything else going on. And one, one time uh, I got tested and I, was, I had a little bit too much salt in my diet. So my cholesterol may have been a little high, a little high, just a little high, not too high, just a little high, okay? And, and so doctor told me, hey, you got to start, uh, stop um, eating so much salt. I cut out salt for a season. Got a physical following year. I was good. Now, he said if I was in my later years and I had never got a physical and I doubled down on salt and red meat like crazy, the conversation would have been like this. If you don't stop eating red meat and stop salting everything, you will die of a heart attack. That's what my doctor would tell me. My doctor knows it because I'm his patient. Would I be wise to listen to my doctor to stop eating this and start eating this? Can we say yes to that? And all God's heart is, as a great physician, is saying, hey, I know your soul. You are eating this, and it is creating a spiritual heart attack. You are literally anxious, and it is destroying you. Stop eating these things of the world, and now eat this stuff. This is my heart for you. I am your God. I am your doctor. I am your great physician, and you are mine. You are my son. You are my patient. You are mine. Does this make sense? Yes? So why wouldn't we listen to the law? Why wouldn't we listen to the thing? That's just, so that's the heart of all the law. When you read the law, just don't think of it like, oh, don't do this, don't do that. No, it's coming through the heart of a great father, a great physician. Amen? Second thing we see uh, in Deuteronomy is the pace that protects. So now I'm going to give you the promise. I'm going to take care of you, but there's a pace to the promise. And if you've been alive for a number of years, you know there's a pace to the promise. You know it doesn't happen overnight. You know that it, it takes time. Deuteronomy 7, 22 through 24 says this, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will, will, will multiply around you. Everybody say little by little. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you, throwing them to great confusion until they are destroyed. He will give their kings into your hand and you will wipe out their names from under heaven. No one will be able to stand up against you. You will destroy them. Stop. Woo! First thing you got to see in that scripture is that victory is not up for debate. Oh, success is not up for debate. You are blessed and highly favored. Mm. I'm not afraid of the good parts of the Bible. I'm not afraid of that statement. It, it got so coined and said so many times that now if you said I'm blessed and highly favored, it sounds weird. The Bible literally says you are blessed and highly favored and victory is yours. First John, it says that for every child to defeat this evil world, he must trust God for the victory. I like the good parts of the Bible. I like the good news of the Bible. I like those things. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. So that's, that, that, that's a promise on it. Now he said, I'm gonna give it to you little by little. I, uh, I love golfing. I just love it. I think it's, 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 it's a great outlet for me. But one of my least favorite things about golf is the golf carts. I remember the first time I got into one, I, I hit the pedal to the metal. And if you never driven one, you, thought, you think you hit the pedal to the metal, you're going to be like, woo, we're off. But a golf cart, pedal to the metal is this. They go so slow. And the reason why is they put a governor on them. They don't make them go that fast. I didn't understand. Why don't you just put, take the governor off, rounds would go faster. This is chaos. First time I realized why there was a governor. I traveled to Nevada. And of course, it's in Nevada where this happens. So I'm traveling to Mesquite, Nevada. There's some golf course up there, some gorgeous ones. Uh, Wolf Creek is a famous one. They have through Red Rocks, some really high hills. And so they took the governor off of these golf carts, and they were gas-powered, not electric-powered. 
and they are like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to golf. I just want to drive around in this thing, buzz around. Now, as I'm driving through the course, I get to the back nine two times, because it's literally in the cliffs and rocks, I almost fall over and die. And I'm like, well, I maybe we wouldn't have died, but that's what I thought was going to happen until I Googled deaths at Wolf Creek in golf carts and article after article came up. I was like, that's why they had me sign that release waiver because people actually fall over in these golf carts. They're not used to it. And right there, I, I wanted to walk in the golf shop at the end of the 18 holes. I'm like, you need to put a governor on these golf carts. They're way too fast. I mean, I came full circle. Here's, oh, I hope you hear this real quick. The way that we live our life, we hate the governor. But if you didn't have the governor, you would wreck so many times in your life, it would be disgusting. Let me just say this way. Um, I, uh, I, I pastored in LA for seven years and I would have people come to church and they wouldn't have a lot. They'd be so desperate for God. Oh, they'd love God. And they'd say, I moved here to just glorify God. I want God to get all the glory. I'm gonna be a famous actor, but I'm gonna give him all the glory. I love God so much. And so in the very beginning when I was pastoring, I was like, man, I just love it. So many people love God and they made a deal with God. Once they become famous, they get all the glory. And this was the theme of every actor basically I ever talked to. The other rhythm that made me really sad was I would see a majority of them, they would get like their first starring role in a movie, get their first starring role in a Disney TV show. And this is just the reality when you live in Burbank, most of the major studios are in Burbank, California. And so pastored in Burbank. And uh, I remember one of my buddies, you know, he, he was starting a prayer ministry at church. He loved the Lord, good looking chap. And he, uh, he, gets, he gets his first starring movie role in a blockbuster movie that's going to be, you know, uh, seen throughout the world. Never saw him again. And then I remember like seven years later, I flipping through uh, the channels and I see like a Netflix show and it's an advertisement for a Netflix show and it is the darkest, grossest, hedonistic show you'd ever think and he's starring in it. And I, right there, I was like, oh. And if I could just submit this to you, I've seen more people blessed out of the church than, than I've ever seen people disqualified from the church. And what I mean by that is when you ask for all this blessing, be careful that it doesn't bless you right out of the church. And when you get all that success, because what happens is if too much glory comes your way, it makes you goofy. Glory can make you goofy. Glory is not supposed to be yours. Glory is God's. And so, so the question isn't, God, are you big enough to give me the dream? The, big, the question is, are you big enough to steward the dream when he gives it to you? And so he said, you're not big enough for me to give you everything once. So I got to give it to you little by little. I'm going to give you this right now and see how you steward it. Matthew 25 is the little by little principle. Here's one talent. Okay, you did a good job. Here's five talents. Now here's 25 talents. Steward what God has put before you and enjoy the pace. Can I get amen for that? All right, last, last point. We're cruising today, church. We're cruising today. Come on. You're doing such a good job. Let me get a sip of water real quick. So last one is this, the boundaries that protect. The boundaries that protect. Uh, now, what I'm going to read to you is the famous Ten Commandments. And we know these. To some people, they seem like just some archaic documents. But they are alive and well. Uh, the, when Jesus comes on the scene, he encapsulates the Ten Commandments with love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor yourself. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, one through four is vertical, love the Lord, and then five through ten are horizontal, love your neighbor. So you'll even see that in the, in the Ten Commandments. And so what I want to do today is I can't teach all ten of them, but I want to show you three ten, uh, Ten Commandments. And here's why. They're not the Ten Commandments. They're the Tender Commandments. They're the protection of God. Ron Mill, a, a great Bible teacher, wrote actually a book called The Tender Commandments, really opened my eyes to how God wants to protect me with his law, not hurt me. <clears throat> so I want to I read you uh, Deuteronomy 5, and I hope this uh, speaks to you. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Goes on to talk about having no other images. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry, my, my voice is going away right now. This is new. Let's see. Okay, push through. All right, the water helped. I should not bow down to them or worship them. Uh, he goes on to talk about, I'm going to uh, skip down. 
Don't use any other name. Observe the Sabbath day. Uh, we know that one. Uh, honor your father and mother. And all the parents said amen. Come on now. Yeah. Look at your kids or else. Um, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony to your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife um, or set your desire on your neighbor's house or land. Uh, his, uh, his workers, uh, his ox or his donkeys or anything belongs to your neighbor. Stop covenanting the donkeys and the oxes in the Bay Area. Amen? Yeah. That would, be, that would translate today to the cars. Can we get, you know? The, yeah, yeah. So stop coveting the Bentley or whatever car, the Tesla. Um, he says don't covet those things. Now, I want to show you three commandments, and I want to show you the beauty and why God gives them to us. So the first one, this is, don't have any other gods in front of me. For this to flourish, the first one, don't have any other gods in front of me. The boundary protects. Here's why. Let's just use a marriage illustration real quick. Rachel and I get married. If she puts another male in front of me, the marriage will not flourish. God's heart's always for you to flourish. If Rachel's like, you know what? I like you, but I like hanging out with that guy better. I, you know, I don't want to come home anymore. I just want to sleep over here. I'm just going to hang out with that person over here. The reality is this marriage will no longer flourish, and that will no longer flourish. And, and so what God's saying is you can't have two gods. You can't say you love me and love the world also. That's why he says you can't do both. You can either love God or love an idol. Those are your only two options. And if you love me, there's a flourishing in it. God blesses the covenant. Now, let's look at this real quick. So, so what is the competitor to God? So we understand the competitor in a marriage is another person. A career, busyness, a hobby, whatever it is. So, so we know they're competitors in marriage. But what's the competitor to God? He shows the scripture, the competitor to God that will destroy your life and destroy the relationship with him is idols. I want to, I want to break this down real quick. What are idols? I'll read you. The, Bible. the scripture shows us. Do not worship an image of a man or a woman or an animal on the earth or a bird in the air or a fish in the water, the moon or the stars or the heavenly array. So, boom. Right down. What are they? Those are all good things. So an idol's not just because they're good things. So he says, here's what idols can be. Just the things around you. People, goods, I guess fishes and water. A lot of people love fish and water, I guess. But there's a list of things that are good things. What is an idol is when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing in your life. He's saying, hey, watch out for the good things becoming an ultimate thing. Do not worship these things. So these things are good, but if you worship them, they become not a good thing, become an ultimate thing. So what does an ultimate thing look like? So a good thing is this. You have a good thing in your life, and uh, let's say like you had a good job. If you lost a good job, it would make you sad, and you'd be upset. If you lost an ultimate thing, you would be undone and you would melt down. Good things, you're upset. Ultimate things, you're literally just melting down. Let's do another thing. A good thing, you worry about it, you think about it, that's understandable. But an ultimate thing, ooh, an ultimate thing, what it does is it absolutely binds you up and you don't worry about it. You absolutely are gripped by it and you're in fear and you're always worried. You literally cannot function in life. So good things, Understandable, they're in, a, they're in a rightful place. Ultimate things, they destroy you. I wrote this down. Um, if um, you lose a good thing, all right, another good thing's out there. You lose an ultimate thing, you lose the meaning for life. And there are people like, if I lost this, I don't even know why I'm alive. I remember being a youth pastor and a young girl came up to me and she's like, Pastor Tyler, you know, she's like 14. No boys like me. You know, I was like, I was like, you're 14. Like, you shouldn't even know what boys are. Like, like enjoy life. You know what I'm saying? No, what, I was like, and then, you know, I'm doing the pastor answer. I'm like, hey, here's the deal. God loves you. And literally, like, I'm like, this is the best I got this moment. Okay, I was a young youth pastor. She's like, what's the good of God loving me if no boys like me? I was like, give me some time. I'll come back next week. All right. And really, if I'm being honest, it's a young girl telling on herself at that moment saying, 
the approval of boys has gripped my life. It's the meaning of my life. And if I don't have this, I don't have anything. And the reality is, as we get older, we're like, I know God loves me, but if I don't have this, I don't really have anything. That is your idol, and that is stealing from you. And so, so let, me, let, me, let me double down on this real quick. Um, there's, 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 uh, uh, Chris Wright says in his commentary, he says there's basically uh, um, two options. You either worship God or worship idols. Because the, the, the reality is, what do idols do to you? They corrupt you. I'll read you in verse 16. It says this. It says, so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourself an idol. The word corrupt in Hebrew means to decay and disintegrate. Makes you a shell of yourself. You ever seen somebody who's been grabbed by the world? They become a shell of themselves. They're so worried they're a shell of themselves. Like, what happened to you? I'm so, I'm so stressed out. I can't talk right now. You're a shell of yourself. And so here's what happens. There are two options in life. Worship God and be free or worship idols and be enslaved. It says idols will enslave you. That's their nature. God's nature is not to enslave you. It's to set you free. It is his nature to set you free. Another thing that idols do, worship God and flourish or worship idols and decay. If you live for God, woo, you're going to flourish. But if you worship idols, it's going to just gnaw on you and it's going to make you decay. Another thing is worship God and enjoy life or worship idols and live in fear for the rest of your life. So th this is the first commandment. Oh, so controlling. You actually hear the heart of it? Yes, please. And God, may I pick you and worship you and no idols. Can I get an amen for that? All right, second, uh, second one. I picked one, five, and ten, basically. One, one in the front, one in the middle, Sabbath, and then covet. So Sabbath, uh, physical rest. So the Sabbath's interesting. Um, God says, hey, you need to rest. Now, a lot of us are like, okay, I get it. No, 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 let me unpack this real quick. Uh, I love studying other things that need rest. Uh, did you know that dirt needs rest? Do you know that bowling pins need rest? At the bowling alley, if they get hit too many times, they put them up and rest them for 60 to 90 days. If bowling pins need rest, if dirt needs rest, maybe you and I need rest. So we all agree we need rest, yes? Now the second thing is, how do we get rest? Okay, let me show you something that this is a study of who you are. Um, and it, this is like, again, you could find all these studies, and, and I'm going to land on the last one mostly, but I want to show you all of them. You need physical rest. Another type of rest, it says you need mental rest. You need social rest. You need creative rest. You need emotional rest. You need sensory rest, and you also need spiritual rest. So, you all, oh, I'm tired physically, but then you go and do sensory rest, and you're like, I, I had a day off, but I still am so tired. You need rest from all those things, it says. And some of you, if you have like, you know, creative rest, that would be mine. I, I preach for a big part of my life, so there's a lot of creativity. I'm always using my creative muscle. I believe God's a creative God. He gives revelation. So my creative muscle, I need to rest that on my days off. So, so I need to find rest. So, so how do we rest? So, so you need to know how to rest and what to rest. So those are things. But spiritual rest is fascinating. Something that I've had to do in my life for me to actually have real Sabbath rest is to find a verse that literally is speaking to the unrestful parts of my soul. So right now, I want our church to find a home. I want a building for our house. You know, I love doing three services, but uh, as the church keeps growing, uh, Shadeland's not big enough, so I'm like, I just feel it. I feel it. And so I'll, I'll start looking through Scripture, and I'll find a verse about God's promise that he's more committed to his plan come to fruition than I am. And I'll just sit in my backyard, and I'll just, I'll just chew on that verse. Like, and then I'll walk in, like, I'll come in. I haven't come in the house. Already, so I'm like, Ooh, we, got a, we got a great home ahead of us, babe. God's going to take care of it. It's going to be an amazing story. It just gives me this type of rest. I, I have a health thing. Um, my, my, my esophagus, I have this thing called EOE. So it, it, my um, allergies from food and even environmental, it starts to hurt to talk, and it just hurts to swallow uh, with EOE. It's a new thing. Uh, it's kind of like Crohn's for esophagus. I got diagnosed with it last year. I hate it. I, like, it, it stresses me out sometimes. I'm like, what if I can't preach this Sunday? And so I have to go outside and I got to claim the scriptures that are over my life that God's going to heal me and he's going to use this for his glory. 
If not, I'm going to get anxious. I'm going to count down that. Oh my gosh, what if I can't speak on Sunday? What? And, and so I grab that verse and I get that REM, that RAM type of spiritual rest. You will not have rest if you don't have scripture. Right. You will not have rest if you don't have his presence. And so get all the practical rest, but the rest that you need, you have to find a scripture that speaks to the unrest of your soul and you need to put it right on top of it and say, hey, go to bed. God's in charge. Amen? So, and this, let's be honest, uh, if you look at it this way, uh, for our horizontal, the Ten Commandments is for you to flourish, but the Ten Commandments is also for us to flourish as a body of Christ. So I'm not going to do well if you're tired all the time. Tired people don't respond well. Tired people don't love well. Tired people don't uh, have a passion for God's house. God wants rested people to have a passion for his house. You rest well, you love well. Can we get an amen for that? It's kind of obvious. Last but not least, you shall not covet. Woo, this is going to be a fun one. Bay Area, this is one of the ones we struggle with the most, coveting. Do you know that, that we don't even use the word covet? Like, covet isn't an English word. It's not our word. It's not, it's not in our vocabulary anymore. Covet is a biblical word that got basically, it, it means want now. So we just have want in our language. But the reality is, is we can all agree there's different level of want. Yes? I, I want a cookie. I guess, you know. But there's other things I really want. Now, uh, the reality is, is uh, I'll even double down on this. Eskimos have 11 words for snow. 11 words for snow. I have one. Snow. Snow cold. Snow white. Snow outside. It's snowing. I just have snow. But when Eskimos have snow, they actually use different words for snow to know how to navigate the day with the type of snow they have. 11 words. Well, God knows words, and he knows wants. And he has different uh, words for wants. And coveting is the highest want in your life where it's unhealthy for your soul. It destroys from you and it steals from you. So God doesn't want you to covet. You shall not covet. So let's take a positive bent on the 10th commandment. So what does it mean not to covet? He's saying you shall be content. Let Let me read you Philippians 4. This is what God wants for your life. So contentment isn't something God offers to you. Contentment is something God demands for you. Fullness is contentment. Fulfillment is, so fullness and fulfillment isn't something God offers. He's demanding it. This is a commandment I have for our relationship and for your life. Let me read you in Philippians 4 what, what Paul says in the contentment. The opposite of coveting. And that's really where we need to get to. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, uh, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance learn to be content. We're going to learn how to, you don't find contentment, you learn contentment. We're going to talk about that. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to be in plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all through him who gives me strength. Stop. Three things right there. He gives us the, the medicine for coveting. And scripture says is literally health to our flesh, medicine for our soul. So this is the medicine for coveting. First one is there's a secret to contentment we're going to talk about real quick. And we're going to finish with these. Then not only is there a secret in contentment, you need to learn contentment. And then the, the last one is uh, lack or prosperity exposes uh, contentment. So he goes, I, I know how to be content with a lot or a little. I know the secret of it and I've learned it. So let's talk about the secret of contentment. Why is contentment a secret? Because you're not going to find it in culture. It's, not, it's nowhere in culture. It is not sold to you. Coveting and consuming is sold to you. You will not see a billboard, how to be content today. The, the culture never teaches, it will not teach contentment. It's kind of like, uh, anybody love those treasure hunting movies? Anybody love treasure hunting movies? Or like a national treasure? Who loves Indiana Jones? Love Indiana Jones. So if you were going to find a treasure, uh, what they would do always is they would hire Indiana Jones. Indy, we need you to help us find this treasure. 
Why would they hire him? Because he had the historical context. He knew the layout of the land. He had a book that showed him the map, that showed him all the details. So he would go to a place and know how to find the treasure. Paul is the ultimate Indiana Jones. He said, hey, I found the treasure. I found contentment. I have the book, the Bible. I've been there. Let me show you how to get there. Hire me. Follow me as I follow Christ and watch what happens in your life. You're going to find this secret that is contentment. So why is it a secret? Here's what Paul shows throughout his life. Underneath the want for approval in our life from everybody is the secret to approval, and it's found in God, that once you realize that he approves of you, that you don't need it from other people, and you, you, you live in a life of contentment instead of working for approval. Ooh, is that nice? Underneath, underneath the desire to succeed, to validate yourself, underneath that is the cross and the grave that says you have been validated and victory is no longer debate. You are mine and I'm yours. Underneath it, underneath the insatiable, I want to be loved, I want to be loved. Underneath it is a love that you had never, ever known, but a love that this world has never seen, the love of all loves, and it's the king of king love. Come on now, that's underneath it. That's going to give you contentment. Are you seeing the underneath secret over and over again? Every time that you find yourself discontent with something, just peel the layer underneath and you're going to find actually the real answer, and it's God. That is the secret to contentment. I'm going to invite um, uh, Chris to come up uh, and play guitar. So the second one is you have to um, uh, see that contentment will be exposed. It will be exposed in our life. Why is it, why is it exposed? Uh, let me just show you real quick. Uh, everybody, when they start their life, um, they start on this side of life. Let's just start, boom, okay? And let's say, you know, when you really start to dream for life, ooh, this is what I want for my life. And if I could just use a simple illustration, it's like uh, the treasure on the other side of the rainbow, okay? And so Paul says, contentment is exposed with plenty or lack. So some people actually get to the other side of the rainbow in life, like the full other side. And the other side, if we're just going to do the American, like getting to the other side, it would be fame, wealth, people, marriage, house. They got it all on this side. And the reality is, is once they get to this side, interview after interview, if they don't know the Lord, they say they are not fulfilled, they're actually empty. Jim Carrey says, I wish everybody could be rich and famous so they realize that it brings no happiness. He, Jim Carrey said, I got to this side of the rainbow and I'm still not content. Kurt Cobain, I, I, I pastored in a town right next to where he grew up in Aberdeen. Uh, Kurt Cobain, the famous singer for Nirvana, got to this side of the rainbow and was discontent and took his life. It will drive you nuts when you find yourself exposed uh, with, with having everything but still feeling like you have nothing. The other part, and I'm going to show you this real quick, is the other people, when they have a lack, they start to get discontent. Okay, they're on the journey. They're like, I just got to get there. And as they try to journey there, the exposure of journeying there, they go, I can't get there. It must be my spouse. I can't get there. It must be my career. I can't get there. It must be this. It must be the structure or the system. And what happens is, is when you get exposed for a lack of discontentment, three things happen. You start to blame uh, other people. Well, it must be other people. So, so blaming is how you try to get rid of your discontentment. The other way, you start to blame yourself. I'm not strong enough to get there. I'm not smart enough to get there. I'm not pretty enough to get there. So you start to blame because, oh, that, that, that must be why I'm discontent. Or you start to blame the universe. Oh, you know what? It's the way our politics are in California. That's why I'm upset. You guys want to know why people are so angry right now? It goes to the root of discontentment. I'm going to blame this party. I'm going to blame this party. I'm going to blame this the discontentment in their soul, they don't know how to deal with it, so it must be somebody else's fault. You know, you know who you need to blame? God. Because he designed you for an out-of-this-world. And it's not a bad blame. It's actually an exposure of, God, you don't want this world to satisfy my soul. And Paul said it's a secret and exposed him. And he goes, I get it now. That if I find myself 
not being satisfied with anything this world has to offer, I must be not made for this world. I must be made for something more, and it's heaven. Oh, heaven will fulfill me. God will fulfill my soul. And when you allow to work, have your life live from that kind of contentment, oh, you love different, you receive different, you celebrate different. There's a fullness in your marriage and life. Let me, let me finish with this. So you need to learn contentment. You need to learn contentment. I'll just make these fast. First thing you need to learn contentment is you need to unmask the coveting. You need to unmask the coveting. And what I mean by that is you have to be honest with yourself. What other idols are competing with your God? What other things are actually competing with telling you I'd be fulfilled? And so some of you could say, it's a person. I just had this person. I'd be fine. Unmask it. And God, I know that's a lie, but I believe it for some reason. But I unmask that lie today and say, God, may I not think a person can fulfill me. You can fulfill me. Unmask a career. God, I know a career is good, but I know it can't fulfill me. I unmask the career today. It is a false idol that will not fulfill me. You've got to unmask it. That's how you learn to, to deal with coveting. Second thing is somebody this. You need to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to wake up. Hey, all right. Hey, self, God's going to satisfy you today. Self, God loves you today. Self, God has goodness for you today. He's going to chase you down. Grace for you. Hey, self. The kingdom of God, it is yours, it is at hand. God's gonna give you little by little day. Oh, enjoy what God gives you. Be ready to receive from God today. You gotta preach the gospel yourself. Third one is you need what I call the icing discipline, the icing discipline. Who loves desserts in the house? Oh, I love me some dessert. I'm a dessert guy. I am now finally admitting it. I've been lying to myself forever. I say, I'm not a dessert guy. I'm a dessert guy, I love desserts. But the number one dessert I love, I love cookies. Woo! How much do I love cookies? I've got cookies waiting for me on top of my fridge right now. I got a, um, a chocolate chip cookie and a ginger cookie from Model Baker from Napa just on top of my fridge. We were at Napa and I bought them for myself. They're my Sunday treat to myself. I don't have them throughout the week because I'm, I'm disciplined. But so, so I said, Sunday, I'm coming for you cookies. So I'm excited for my cookies. So I call it icing discipline. Now, if I don't have cookies for a month, I'll be okay. But if I don't have protein, water, carbs, and good fats, I will physically decay. Can we agree with that? And the icing discipline is this. God, you're my protein. You're the healthy fats. You're the healthy carbs. For my, my spirit needs these things. And when you give me some dessert, God, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to worship it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's, okay to, it's okay to enjoy things of this world. I'm going to enjoy them but not worship them, God. And if you take away something of this world, I get it. Just a different dessert's going to come later on. That's not going to become my God. You have to have the icing discipline. Amen? And uh, fourth one, you need to learn communion with God. Communion is something like this. You need to learn relationship stuff with God. You got to learn how to pray. You got to learn how to read your word. And you got to learn how to worship. If you're only doing that on Sunday, you're going to be discontent for the rest of your life. That when you start to read your word, you start to pray and worship throughout the day, you work from a fullness. You work from an overflowing cup. You have to understand communion. And last but not least, you need to learn how to obey God. You need to learn how to obey God. I, I wrote this down. Rachel would always try to talk me into eating things and I would never eat them. She would tell her, you've got to try this. It's delicious. I'm not trying that. And now the last three years of our marriage when Rachel cooks, she don't even have to ask me. I run to the kitchen. What you making today? Because the reality is when Rachel cooks, it's always good. When Rachel makes something, I, but I was such like, no, I only eat this. I, oh, that's too weird for me. I would never try that. But now that I know my wife and know how good of a cook she is, I'm down to try anything she has. And what God is, is he's the greatest cook and the greatest deliverer. Don't debate with God. Whatever it is, yes, God, I'd love to have some more of that. When God gives you something, just say yes to it. Don't talk yourself out of it. Can I get an amen for that? All right, I'm going to finish with this and we're done. So in Deuteronomy, find it fascinating. 
quick little conclusion thought. The promised land we, we covered last week was simply this. It's not heaven in your life. That's not the promised land. The promised land is your spiritual inheritance, what you're supposed to inherit in your life. And so the spiritual inheritance is um, the, uh, represented by land in the uh, Old Testament, 300,000 square miles, 300,000 square miles, land, milk, milk, and honey. And God says, I'm going to give it to you, but I need you to do a few things. I need you to walk into it. I need you to steward it. And I need you to fight for it. That's what I'm asking you to do. So in the Old Testament, Israel's pinnacle of the Old Testament is under King David. King David, great king, loves God and obeys God. That's what he's marked by, loving God and obeying God. Doesn't do it perfectly, but that really is his mark. He's the most obedient king Israel ever saw. And under King David's rule, as he followed God, Israel started living out the promise. They occupied 30,000 square miles of the promise, one-tenth of the promise. That's the most they ever did in the Old Testament. And it made me think about Christians today when God says, I'm giving you all of heaven. Here it is, receive it. I'm going to give you the promises that are on your life, your spiritual inheritance. And I meet way too many Christians that are only receiving a tenth of it. And that's it. And the reality is, is that God doesn't want you to live a tenth of the promise. But the reason why they only got 30,000 miles is because once David was done, the next king became disobedient again. You want to know how you live fullness? Each season is obedient season. This season, I follow you. Oh, new season, I'm going to follow you. New season, I'm going to worship you again. You know, God, it's another season. You're first again. Hey, God, I got married. You're still first. Hey, God, I got a new job. You're still first. Hey, God, I just got uh, hurt by somebody. You're still first. I love you. Hey, God, guess what? I'm now in my 50s and I'm, I'm enjoying life this way. You're still first. Hey, God, I'm retiring. You're still first. You do that for the rest of your life, you'll see all 100% of your blessing. Man, walk in that. Can you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you that you're the God who protects through, oh, your heart. It's just a heart of protection. Oh, you want to protect your house. Oh, the pace that you give us, the promises. God, we thank you for that. God, I thank you that you're the one that gives us the tender commandments to protect us and guide us. With every head bowed and eye closed, you're watching online. Very simple questions, very simple thought. But it's the most important question you'll ever be asked. If you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to say yes to salvation, yes to your inheritance, yes to what Jesus died on the cross for. Uh, the Bible says you must respond to this. We confess with our mouth and believe our heart will be saved. The way we respond is we raise our hand and we say yes. Online, you can type yes in the chats and we'll uh, have a pastor follow up with you. But if you want to say yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell, with every head bowed and eye closed on the count of three, you want to respond to that today. Why don't you raise your hand and catch my eye. One, two, three. Raise it up and raise it high. I want to see you. I see you in the middle. God bless you. Come on now. Come on. I see you. God bless you. I see you on the left. I see you. God bless you. Praying for people in the chats that are watching. If you're watching today on Sunday, I want you to know that this is real. If you clicked on it on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, this is still real. This is a moment for you if you want to respond and say yes to Jesus. Mission Church, I love you. I'll see you next week. Four-year anniversary, 9-11 at the HQ. Come on. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.